Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the blessing it is to be in fellowship with believers, to be in your house, for the beautiful weather you gave us this last week as things start to fade into summer and all that means. We just praise you for all the small things and the big things. Lord, you watch over us and you care for us so greatly. We thank you for that. Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. All right. As Dan kind of jokingly said, happy Mother's Day. Um, so there's a couple of reasons that I'm preaching this sermon today and not last week. Um, one of them does happen to be the fact that I realized it was Mother's Day after I submitted what scriptures were going to be for last week. Uh, some of it has to do with the fact that I don't think we should just celebrate our moms on Mother's Day, because I totally could have just been like, well, I'll just tell them I flip-flop my sermons. But I thought it would be great to honor moms two weeks in a row, because I think moms deserve that. Being someone who has a mom, I think my mom deserves it. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I worked all my life to have a mom. It's more like my mom spent all of my life making sure that I didn't die or that she didn't kill me. So, um, you laugh just because you didn't grow up with, well, I didn't grow up with you, I guess I should say. Uh, so, Ruth is a really interesting book, and we're going to get into some of those details, but. I'm just going to read these three verses and let you kind of sit on them until the sermon. I want you to think about what it means. I want you to think about the sacrifice that this entailed. It says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death even separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. They both lost pretty much everything they had in their lives, and they were relying on each other. And Ruth stayed with her mother-in-law. That's, that's what's preceding this passage here. And Ruth is saying, no matter what, I'm going to stay with you till the end. Think about what that means as we return with worship to our Lord. I was getting a water bottle. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, gee whiz. Man. I was also double-checking the calendar uh, because I've got, got a couple things to tell you before we delve into the sermon. One, today is the one great hour of sharing soup dinner, uh, and so that's going to be, I believe, after, I think after the closing, because we've got the Camp Judson closing, so after that, you can get some soup, or you can stick around after second service if you plan on hanging out, um, and that reminds me, if you missed it, we are having a closing ceremony today for Sunday school. So Sunday school will let out early. We'll come in here 
and we will hear from Ruth from Camp Judson, and then we'll shimmy on over to Souplandia. Sound good? The other announcement I have for you guys, if you are interested in serving alongside a member or a, a group of members here at Greenfield, we are doing a mission trip. It's going to be down in Louisiana at the end of August, and we're going to have an informational meeting on June 13th after second service. So Sunday, June 13th after second service. So it's not Father's Day. It's the Sunday before Father's Day, uh, and we will be having a meeting. I've only got slots for nine other people. They had a max of 10 people, so I've only got room for four men and five women in addition to myself. Um, feel free to come to the meeting if you're interested in learning about more. Uh, that being said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love for us. It never fails. It never gives up, and it never runs out on us. We pray that you would help us to have the same steadfast love for you. Your precious and holy name, amen. All right. So I did not have a pun for the title today, but I do have a joke to warm you guys up. You ready for this one? All right. So do you know what Boaz was like before he met Naomi's daughter? Yeah, he was ruthless. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you got that one. Thank you. Yeah. Oh man, I must have got that one out of order. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, I had that in there. Boy, I'm not sure what happened to my PowerPoint this morning. We were having problems with the computers. So, so, yeah. oh, of course. So, I just wanted to start off with a little bit of background before we get into those verses. Uh, obviously, the verses are focused on how Ruth said she would follow Naomi that she would go with her, that she would be with her, that she would follow the Lord as her God, that she would embrace Naomi's people as her people. How do we get to that point? And what did that mean for them? So we're starting off towards the beginning of the book, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and it says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other named Ruth, and after they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilon also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So things were different back then in many, many ways, and it was not very common for women to have jobs. It wasn't entirely unheard of, but it was pretty rare. Uh, when we look through the Bible, one of the few examples we see uh, is Lydia. She had a business of trading various fabrics, um, and she held a church at her home. Uh, we also see some examples like Deborah, who was a leader in Israel, but that was a pretty rare circumstance. A woman without a husband 
was not in a good situation. In fact, that's part of why Paul exhorts um, people to be so kind to widows and orphans. A widow was a woman in a very vulnerable position. And so he encouraged young widows to go out and get remarried and older widows to live in the church and serve the church almost like you would picture a nun serving. I I don't want to say that they would be nuns, but in that sort of a role where they would live with the church, they would serve the church, and their whole life would be devoted to prayer and service. That was his encouragement at that time for older widows because otherwise they wouldn't have any source of income, they wouldn't be able to feed themselves, and they often didn't own property. So it was a very different time and a very different place. And so this woman who had lost her husband and both of her sons was in a pretty desperate situation. And that's why she was encouraging both of her daughter-in-laws to go out and get new husbands. And that's why she says what she says next. As long as it's up, nope, okay. Again, my slides are a little bit out of order. So uh, she talked about saying... Um, that if they stuck around, it's not like even if she got married that very day and got pregnant that very night and had babies, they would have to wait X number of years for those boys to grow up into men and be able to take care of, provide for, and care for those women in the way that they needed. And she was more or less saying, there is no hope staying with me. Don't bother Go find someone else to take care of you. And that is where Ruth said, by no means, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go where you go. Your people are going to be my people. I'm going to take care of you even if it kills me. Now that is some devotion to your mother. And notice that wasn't even her, like, birth mom. That was her mother-in-law. And how many jokes have you heard about mother-in-laws, right? She was faithful and devoted even when she didn't have to be. Uh, That's why. So I also had this verse up there. A widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. So... That was one of the verses where it talks about widows in the New Testament. It really was a vulnerable position to be in. You didn't want to be a widow. There we are. Yeah. So like I said, she said even if she got married that day and had kids, it wouldn't wouldn't work out for you guys. Would you wait until they grow up? I mean, I, I know that I've heard jokes of, you know, women seeing a cute little baby and saying, you know, oh, just you wait. When you grow up, you know, you're going to break hearts. Maybe I'll come back for you kind of thing. But really, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen. Unless there's a lot of money involved, but we don't need to get into that. No, my daughters, it is more better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. Ruth stuck around. So Orpah took her mother-in-law's advice. 
And she went off and she went to go find a new husband because she knew it was a desperate situation. There were two different responses here. Ruth clung to her. Ruth said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to stick with you to the end. And Orpah followed her advice. It's not like she was trying to intentionally be cold and say, you know, to heck with you, I'm going to go take care of myself. Her mother-in-law was begging her to go out and find a new husband. And so she conceded. She left. So remember how I talked about the case of the widow and the orphan? Well, there's different circumstances. Paul even classified different ranks of widows. Like I said, if one was younger, he would encourage them to go out and get remarried. He also said if they've got children or grandchildren, their family should take care of themselves. It says they should put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. This is a hard part of honoring your mother and father, right? And I've seen so many circumstances where people are put in a really tough situation because of that. They'll have their parents live with them at home for years to the point where they need medical care and treatment because we've gotten to this day and age where we can medically sustain people for a much longer period of time and we have more advanced treatments and things. And oftentimes there's then this struggle of, do I keep them at home even though I can't give them the care that they need? Or do I put them in a nursing home where it's going to be harder for them and for us, but they can get that better care? It's tough. And so Paul's saying, essentially, if they have people who can take care of them, let them take care of them. Because that's what they need. But if we look at Naomi's circumstances, all she had was daughter-in-laws. She didn't have, in their eyes, in their mind, people who could take care of her. There wasn't any breadwinners there to put a roof over her head. They were in a tough spot. Now today, it's different. Women can, women can have and hold jobs and own property, and that's a pretty common, normal thing. I mean, how many women here have a job or have had a job at some point? That's most of the women in this room. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't still at-home moms. That's totally a thing, and that's a great thing. I had an at-home mom growing up, and I loved it. Uh, and it was, I think, pretty good for my development. Some of you might be like, meh, you know. He's, he's a little bit off, so not so sure about that one. But a lot of women nowadays are in a different position where they're more empowered to do things uh, and to buy things and to own things and all that good stuff. So what it made me think of was refugees. Now, I know that this is a very different thing in our eyes, but if you look at someone who is a refugee or in this country potentially an illegal immigrant, they can't legally have a job, they can't legally own property, they're in a tough spot. Regardless of how you feel about how they got here or why they're here, they are in a tough spot and they cannot in many ways practically care for themselves. 
and that leaves them in a very vulnerable position. So how do we care for those people? I'm not going to dwell on that too long, and I'm not going to get political, but I, I want that to just sit with you for a minute. And thinking about how God cares for us, even though we aren't part of the Jewish faith, the original people. In fact, to many Jews, we are aliens to this religion, if you think about it. Just food for thought. So Ruth, after all this happens, knowing that they are in a very desperate, vulnerable, almost hopeless situation, she says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. She's saying, don't ask me to do that. I'm not going to leave you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. She's leaving behind these old ways, the things that she's familiar with, the places she grew up, the people she knew. And she's embracing Naomi. And they end up going back to Israel. They weren't in Israel. That's why her sons married Moabites. They were in a different region. Now, because it's a smaller country and area, it'd be a little bit more like you know, if somebody moved to Pittsburgh from Erie, and they married somebody out of Pittsburgh. You know, they're not from Erie. It's a different region. You know, they might have some different slang and say things like yins. Yeah. But it was, it was a little bit like that. Then, of course, there was also the cultural and religious aspects. If you notice, she said, your God will be my God. That was a region that didn't really worship God the same way, and oftentimes they would worship other gods and not follow the one true God. So she's leaving behind even her religious roots, and she's saying, I'm going to give it all up, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to follow God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. That's, that's a bold claim. I mean, she said, even if death separates us. She's saying, it's, there's a sort of cultural phrase uh, for someone who was with you no matter what. And it's, it's that they'll be your ride or die, right? They're going to be with you to the end no matter what. Come heck or high water, they'll be by your side. And that's what she's saying. She's saying, I'm going to be with you no matter what. Ruth stayed with Naomi even when she didn't have to, when it wasn't easy, when a lot of people almost would have said it wasn't right. I mean, are you going to expect her to give up the potential of finding a husband? Are you going to ask her to give up the potential of having a normal life. She was willing to take that risk. And she followed Naomi to a different country with a different religion, with people she'd never met before, where they were going to have to live as beggars. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They recognized her. They knew that she'd gone away a long time ago. But she came back. I see, I see that you are in the back today, and I've got a particular question. How did it feel to come back to Greenfield after all those years? Strange. Everybody recognized you, though, right? Or at least a lot of the old crowd, no? Yeah, some of the older crowd recognized you. They're like, oh, welcome back, right? That's Laura Ross, by the way. Yeah, she used, to, she used to go here a while ago, and then she left, and then she came back, and some people recognized her. Well, that's the situation Naomi was in. She'd been out of town for a long time, and she came back, and they're saying, oh, is this, is this you? Well, Naomi, a lot of names had meaning. Naomi was a positive name. Naomi if I recall correctly, in my footnotes, means blessed one. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That name indicates bitterness. It indicates sorrow. She literally was renouncing her name and identifying with her pain, saying, don't even call me that anymore. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, this is really heavy, and I just want to give this disclosure. I hope nobody needs this, but I just want you to know it's available. If anybody is suffering with something like depression, if they are identifying with their pain to the point where it feels like it's who they are. I want you to know that there is help available. Uh, and they recently changed the, um, the suicide prevention hotline, so you don't have to type in that big long 1-800 number. You can punch in 211, just like 911. You can punch in 211. Um, and that will get you to emergency services who can help you and talk through those things. Again, I know that's dark, and I know that's heavy, and I hope nobody in this room is in that spot, but I want you to know that that's available. I also had that up there, because I think sometimes when we're depressed, something like a chocolate milkshake can be a good help, too, and a hug from a friend. Now, yours probably won't want worms in it, I would think, but Woodstock's a bird, so that's all right. She was depressed. She literally was so depressed that she wanted to change her name. Think about that. And contrast that to Job. Think about how Job responded to all this pain. He was also in a spot where he lost everything. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Naomi was wrong or that it was bad that she had uh, depression or that that was somehow her fault, not by any means. Who wouldn't be grieving in a spot like that? She just identified with her pain in a different way. 
Now, she did kind of blame God a little bit, and I don't think that that's an appropriate response. Because if you look, she was saying that the Lord afflicted me. But I also just want to recognize the fact that that's where she was at. Naomi identified herself with her sorrow. She looked at these bleak circumstances, and that is where she put her identity. So I kind of skipped, I kind of skipped the good portion of the story. I want to encourage you guys to go out and read the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. You can break it up. You can read, and the chapters aren't long either. So you could read a chapter a day pretty reasonably, only take a couple minutes. Or you could read the whole thing in one sitting. It would take less than a half hour. It's a pretty short book, but it's a good book. And I'll give, you the, I'll give you the Reader's Digest without giving away too much because, again, I, I want you guys to read it. It really is a good book. And a lot of people think of it as a romance book, like, ooh, love. There's a little bit of that. It's not that bad. It's, it's, it's not like Song of Solomon, and I'm not going to go there, Ken. We already went there. And if you weren't here in February, you can hop on the YouTube and go back to that one. It's juicy. Well, you know what, Kenny? I want people to love their moms, all right? Yeah. Thank you. So, skipping over the juicy portion, long story short, they get to this place, and like I said, they had to beg. They weren't in a position where they could just go out and get a job and find an apartment. It wasn't like moving to a new town is nowadays, especially for unmarried women. So, what they had to do they fortunately got there during harvest season. And part of the Jewish law was that you couldn't be really nitpicky about harvesting your crops. If you had a field and you were harvesting, you weren't supposed to go back over a second time. So say, say you were picking grapes. You know, you go through and you pick your grapes. Well, they had to do it all by hand. And the rule was that if you missed something, you're not supposed to go back over it a second time and make sure you didn't miss any clusters. And you're not supposed to go back into the corners of your field that you might have missed if you were just kind of going around quickly. You were supposed to leave that for people who couldn't feed themselves, who couldn't afford to. Or if you were harvesting grain and you were putting it in bundles, they had to wrap them by hand. So it wasn't like they had a you know, nice hay baler or they didn't have combine harvesters. So when they wrapped grain and barley, they would cut the stalks, and they would wrap around it with some kind of twine or rope, and they would pick up the bundles by hand and, and move them. And so if anything fell out of the bundle, that was to be left behind for the destitute and the, the, the impoverished. And the, they use the term alien a lot in the Bible, but it, it would really be like a refugee nowadays. Those people who were destitute and couldn't help themselves were allowed to go back and follow behind the harvesters and pick up whatever was left over so that they would have something to eat so they wouldn't be starving. And so that's where Ruth was. And she goes to this field where they're harvesting barley, and she's following the harvesters, 
and they point her out to the owner of the field because he's like, who's that lady? You know, she's new in town. And it turns out that he's related distantly to Naomi. And as weird as this is for us, that was a good thing for them. Nowadays, it's pretty frowned upon to marry your cousin, right? I would say yes. Yes, it's pretty frowned upon to marry your cousin. I, I didn't hear much affirmation of that statement. <laughs> but back then, what would happen if you were married to somebody, specifically if you were a woman and your husband died? Part of the importance of their culture was passing on a lineage. And so in order to keep the lineage alive, in order to keep the namesake alive, she would often marry one of the husband's brothers. So if, ladies out there, if you have any brother-in-laws and your husband dies, we still don't follow this rule. That's just not something that I encourage. But back in those days, Jeff, I'm not trying to kill you off. <laughs> but theoretically speaking, let's say something happened. Then Anne would have to marry one of your brothers. And which one would you pick? <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> Mark's, Mark's over there saying, I'm the fifth. <sighs> yeah, so we... we <laughs> Mark said that was ruthless. We laugh about that now, but that's how their culture worked. And it was in order to not only keep the lineage alive, but also to keep people from starving to death. Because like I said earlier, women couldn't really have and sustain jobs and own property and all that stuff. So back in those days, again, theoretically speaking, if something happened to Jeff, then Anne would be left on her own. And so would any kids that she would be raising at that point. Now, all their kids have flown the coop by now. But again, theoretically speaking, if you had any children, unless they were old enough to have jobs and take care of mom, mom and the kids were left to their own devices. So it was a way to take care of widows and orphans as well. So these guys, it was both of the brothers had died. So they couldn't, they couldn't just do that and marry the brother-in-law. But when they moved back into town, when they got to Bethlehem, they found their distant cousin, Boaz. And so that was, that was good news. Now, they didn't realize it at first, but they figured out that Boaz was a distant relative, and he was like, well, there's a closer relative, so i got to go talk to him. And it actually ended up that Boaz was able to take Ruth as his wife. And it says, when he made love to her, see, there is a little bit of love in there, Kenny. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The Lord blessed them for their faithfulness. There was a lot of faith put in the Lord. These women stuck together, even though to the outside world they were pretty hopeless. 
They went back to Naomi's hometown. They were living off of leftover grain that had been dropped on the ground. And they would take it home in like little bushels or baskets, just whatever they could get. And that was, that was what they had to take care of themselves. That was it. And the Lord provided. The Lord saw to their needs because they were being faithful. If they had stayed behind or if Ruth had gone off and married somebody else, who knows what would have happened to Naomi. Or who knows what would have happened to Ruth. Maybe she wouldn't have been able to find a husband. We don't know. But they were faithful and they were blessed for it. And they ended up, if you noticed, that little baby boy that Ruth had was David's grandpa. And yes, it was that David. Ruth ended up in the lineage of Jesus because of her faithfulness. What a blessing. Now, obviously, they didn't see that. That was hundreds of years after them. But holy cow. They went from being homeless refugees to being loved, having a home, having a little baby boy. And that would one day lead to Jesus. Now, we know the blessing that we get from Jesus today. We know that he brings us redemption, right? Redemption from our sins. I want to leave you with this one little fact. Boaz, when he married Ruth, the term that they had for that marriage in that time, because he was a relative who married this widow, was called a kinsman redeemer. It was someone who was a relative who would marry this widowed woman so that the bloodline could be redeemed, so that the bloodline wouldn't be lost, so that the family could continue and thrive. God came for us. We were spiritual orphans before we knew him. And he came to redeem us from that situation, give us life, give us love, give us a family, and to bring us into his kingdom. So it wasn't just Boaz, a good farmer. We were brought into the family of Christ, a kingdom. Now, if you don't know that redemption, if you don't know that love, if you don't know that relationship, I urge you, to reach out, talk to myself, talk to Dan, talk to Kelly, talk to Mark. There's lots of people in this room who you could talk to. But I just want to encourage you with that. And I want to remind you, Ruth did that for her mother-in-law. So love your moms and your mother-in-laws. Love them. Love them while you got them. Care for them. And not just on Mother's Day. Just tell them you love them today, too, by golly. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, the fact that you want to redeem us, and you want to bring us into your fold, into your family. We thank you for this example of Ruth, who really stuck her neck out for Naomi, and the blessings that it brought, and the fact that it would eventually lead to your birth. God, we pray that you would bring us closer together as a church family. And Lord, I pray that it would bless all of the mothers out there. That they would hear this story and know that they are loved. And that it would challenge each and every one of us to love our mothers. In spite of any tough circumstances that might pop up. Lift these things up in your precious and holy name. Amen.